I'd like to invite everyone to stand up for today's scripture reading, if you are able to. It comes out of Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Talking about Jesus. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may be seated. Good morning. Hey, will you thank Olivia and Dan and David and our worship team? Well, thank you for being here, especially those of you in person with those roads out there, okay? And if you're joining us online and you normally join us in person, um, I'm just saying I, I mushed the team of Huskies to get here this morning, so um, I hope you don't feel guilty about that or anything. But actually, I woke up praying it was Saturday today, and then I thought, oh, I'll preach from the kitchen maybe. And my wife said, no, that's not happening. So anyway, thank you for being here. If we've not met, my name is Nathan, and I get the privilege of being pastor here at West Bowles Community Church, and we're thankful that you chose this morning to spend time with us. Um, So we are going through the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 2, and there's there's this thing that's been happening throughout Mark that kind of turns a corner with this passage today. And that thing that's been happening throughout Mark chapter 1, the beginning of Mark chapter 2, is that Jesus is just, you watch him, and he's just going to people. And there's this authority that he has as he goes to people. And as I'm reading this, and as I'm reading the account that we're going through this morning, I sat there, and, and it, something dawned on me. You know, there's this, there's this very real, when, when you hear about something, when you're drawn to something, when you try something out, isn't it, isn't it often the case that we, we rely on word of mouth? I mean, I was getting firewood the other day, and I'm and, um, getting the firewood. I said, I'm so grateful you guys are here, and I've, I've told other people about you. And she said that thing that we've all said and we've all heard. Yeah, word of mouth is, is the best form of advertising. You know, I used to have a lawn business years ago, and I by far got more clients through word of mouth than anything else. You hear about a new restaurant, and oftentimes the best ones are the ones that, not that you saw an ad for, but that somebody just told you about. And so I think about all that, and then I think about the church. I mean, the church, the whole thing revolves around Jesus and the abundant life that Jesus gives us, and how often, if we're just being honest, And if you just looked back a little bit, how often do we get to the point where we have that word of mouth opportunity to share with somebody, and what do we do? We we shrink back. And maybe we cower, or maybe we stop. And I used to think that that was fear. And at times, I believe it still is fear. You know, as I think about my life, as I, as I listen to other people describe trying to talk to people about Jesus, or even just say, hey, come and see. Come and see him. 
But I believe there's another thing going on, and it's this thing inside all of us that we look at our lives, and, and I believe that we, we see some things in ourselves. We look around the different areas, and we see liabilities. You know, we think, well, I mean, that's, that's not all that great a thing. How, how is God going to use that? How would God reach anybody with that story, with this person, in these days, in these times, in these circumstances? And it gets real, real easy to just go, ah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. And as we look at these five verses this morning out of Mark chapter 2, I believe that one of the things that the text deals with is, is that thing inside of us where we look around our lives and we don't see anything that God could use. And to do that, as we'll find out here in a few, if you don't know the background of Levi, the tax collector, also known as Matthew, the author of the gospel of Jesus called, of all names, Matthew, okay? Uh, he, he used what society considered the lowest common denominator. I mean, as you'll see here in a minute, Levi was just like the lowest of the low. In fact, let's take a look. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And the first thing that comes up is this thing inside of us, as I read this, you know, I, I look back at my story and I go, God, God couldn't use my story. In fact, my story is probably a liability to the kingdom because we all tend to have moments where we look left and right and we think, well, no, I want, I, I want a story like so-and-so. You know, I, I want something so Hollywood-esque. I want something so, like, reached me from the pits of despair that it's just such an incredible rescue story. And sometimes you look around and you think, I don't have that. Well, Mark says, now, listen, listen to the account of Levi, the tax collector. Here's what it says in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So here's the crowd again. Okay, and Jesus, instead of, instead of like trying to run away from them, instead of, you know, um, just getting around them or hiding from them, he says, okay, I'm going to teach them. They're, they're clearly hungry for something. I'm going to teach them. So verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, also again known as Matthew, author of the gospel, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus, in the middle of teaching, he seems to not mind being interrupted, as we talked about last week. You know, last week people are like breaking through a roof above his head while he's teaching, and he's good with it. He seems to be good with it. So he stops, and he sees this tax collector, and what's he say? Follow me. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, if, you, if we were to just make a couple observations about just these two verses, there's something so striking to me here. And maybe you can relate to this. Jesus, first of all, is, is doing what? He's in the middle of something else. He's teaching. He, he stops what he was doing, what his plan was for at least that moment. And he says, oh, hang on. Hey, Levi, follow me. Just follow me. So Jesus appears busy. He, have you ever felt like God was busy? And when it comes to you, when it comes to your prayers, when it comes to your circumstances, when it comes to your life, we've all been there, haven't we? We go, oh, maybe God's just busy. But the other thing you see here, if you know anything, and we'll dive into this, if you know anything about tax collectors at this time, not only does Jesus appear busy, but Levi, Levi appears incredibly corrupt because tax collectors were like the worst of the worst of the worst. 
On top of it, he, he looks like he's just stranded in this business of, you know, Jesus talks about money a lot. And, and he says, look, you're, you're, you're just so entangled. If your heart grabs onto money, th- then you're missing it. That your heart's going a certain direction that, that goes away from me. And so here's Matthew in the business of collecting money. He's collecting taxes from people. And we would look at him and say, yeah, not only is he maybe corrupt, he's ensnared. But the other thing that jumped out to me about Levi is I just thought about his situation when Jesus called him, is he looks so unqualified. I mean, nowhere in here do you see Matthew said, oh, Jesus, wait for me. I want to follow you. He doesn't even look like he wants to follow. He's sitting at a tax collector's booth. But the other thing that would make him incredibly, incredibly unqualified, and you really have to do a little bit of cultural and historical study of the ancient Jews and and the Romans and their ways to understand just how unqualified Levi would have been to follow this rabbi, this Jesus who came along and said, follow me. Because what would happen in, when, when Jewish kids were about between the age of six and ten years of age, they went through a few different phases of learning. And what they would do is at about the age of six, they would begin learning the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, these are the books of the Bible that um, it is believed that God spoke to Moses and gave him the Torah. So, Jewish children would go through those first five books of the Bible— So here I am at Deuteronomy, and see all this? They would learn it and memorize it. Yeah, how are you feeling about your homework right now, right? They'd memorize it. And by the time they got to age 10, what would happen is a decision was made. Those who decided they didn't want to continue would often stop school. They'd go into a trade, and and that trade would become their career. You know, it could be fishing, it could be carpentry, it could be baseball card collecting, whatever it was, okay? And, and so they'd go into a trade, you know, and that would become their career. But those that really excelled at memorizing and learning this Torah, you know what they would do? They would continue studying, and guess what they would learn? Here, let me go to it here real quick. They would go from Genesis all the way to my favorite book of the Bible to pronounce, Malachi. Okay, it's Malachi, okay? All of this. Now, the absolute best of the best of the best at that, what they would do is they would go to a rabbi, and they'd say, you know what? I want to follow you. Now, different rabbis interpreted the scriptures different ways. And so they would look around, and they'd go, I want to follow you. And so what this rabbi would do is he would grill them with questions. And he wanted to see if they had what it took. And if they didn't, then they would leave studying at that time, and they'd go into their family's trade. But the ones that really excelled, and that the rabbi was convinced they could handle it, that they were up to the test, you know what he'd say? Follow me. Follow me. So now, come back to this situation for a minute. Here's a guy that is a tax collector, okay? He didn't even want to go into studying. Okay? I mean, he wasn't even in the words field. He was in the numbers field. Okay? It's like people with accounting degrees. That is crazy to like get into an accounting degree and then leave it for something else. Anyway, I don't know anybody like that. So what would happen is everybody's sitting here looking at this and they're seeing a rabbi and they're seeing a tax collector and the rabbi is saying to the tax collector, follow me. 
follow me. And, and if you were standing there, knowing all that you knew about the process that it took to become a follower of a rabbi, you had to be sitting there thinking, what is going on? I mean, that guy's not even, he's not even the best, let alone best of the best of the best. He's like the, and he's a tax collector. He's the worst, the absolute worst. Now, come back to us for a minute. Have you ever doubted your background when it comes to reaching people for Jesus? Every single one of us has done this, haven't we? We look back and we think, oh, I don't know that I have anything that God could use. I came across a quote from an anonymous author. Let me read this to you. I think it's, it's an incredibly perspective-giving quote, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, Our calling is uncertain in respect of place, for God calls some from their ships— This was written a long time ago, just so you know, okay? Some from their ships and some from their shops. Some from under the hedges and others from the market. So that if a man can but make out unto his own soul that he is certainly called, the time and the place matter little. The time and the place matter little. Why do we operate as if God needs every Hollywood detail, and for us to manufacture that. When he so clearly looked at a tax collector, the worst of society, and he said, hey, follow me. This is on the heels of he's got fishermen with him. So you know by now people are thinking, okay, this rabbi is absolutely crazy. But you want to know what your favorite, you want to know what your favorite remodel shows are? You know, you've seen those home renovations. You don't like the ones that it looks like barely anything changed, right? I mean, you like the ones that are run down. It looks like there's nothing to work with. There's no material there. Those are our favorite ones. And God says, I do it all the time. I do it every single time. It's what he does. See, your, what's behind you is not a liability. God looks at it. He says, no, that's an asset, actually. If we're talking tax collector and accounting language, it's not a liability. It's an asset. Well, the passage keeps going, and you realize it brings up something that's often referred to as, at least I know in my own life, and I, and I hear other people say it, another liability, and it's the people we're surrounded with. I mean, don't we like to kind of upgrade who we hang around? I mean, I remember we learned this as young kids, right? If you were around a bad influence, you needed to get away from them. And yes, of course that holds true. You know, when I, when I think about my kids, but you, you know what I want for my kids is for them, having met Jesus, to be so strong that they can come back around. See, a lot of times it's not what we do. We don't come back around. You know, we're so drawn to, especially on social media, you know, you've got influencers that post pictures of like the uh, kind of lettuce that their salad is made out of at dinner, and you just think, who cares? Who cares? And yet a million people have liked this. You know, I I don't get it. Anyway, maybe I'm jealous. So, but we can look around and we can think, I mean, what if following Jesus means I I get in in circles with people that I wouldn't have chosen to hang around with before? And Jesus doesn't just say, no, that's not going to happen. He says, oh, it's guaranteed to happen. And if you look at Levi's story, it's exactly what happened. Verse 15 says it. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, there's the phrase a second time, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, there is something to this phrase. They've just said it three times in two verses. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, here's what you got to understand about the group that was sitting in that house and the people that Levi was lumped in with. Rome taxed everything. This was, this was a region under their control, and Rome taxed everything. There was a property tax. There was an income tax. There was a bridge tax. There was a port tax. There were road taxes. There was a wine tax. There was a bread tax. There was a fruit tax. There's an iPhone tax. There's an Instagram tax. There's an air tax. Everything is taxed. And what Rome would do is they'd go, we can't possibly keep up with taxing everybody all the time. And so you know what Rome did? They sold the rights to collect those taxes to anybody who was willing to pay for the right to collect taxes. Now you hear that and you think, okay, that sounds like a normal job. You know, go collect taxes. Here's the thing. The tax collectors, what they would do, and this is the corruption part of their, their uh, industry, so to speak, is they would add a surcharge on to whatever taxes they were collecting. And this was widely known. And so the people who were paying taxes knew they weren't just paying taxes. They were paying taxes plus a surcharge. And they're looking around, and they're looking at like the new Tesla that the tax collector bought. And they're, they're looking at his style of living and all the stuff that looks so upgraded, and they look like they're living large. And you can imagine how people began to feel about them. And so as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they looked on at this dinner that Jesus is having. They see a room full of people, of tax collectors. Let me, let me maybe put it into perspective. Bernie Madoff. Madoff? Potato, potato. Okay, it's Bernie Madoff. Anyway, in 2009, you may remember, he was, he was found guilty of what is really the largest financial fraud scheme, Ponzi scheme, in, the, in, in all history. And there were charities, and there were institutions, and there were people that lost billions and billions and billions of dollars to his lying and his trickery and his schemes. Well, he was found guilty on 11 charges, and he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Now, he actually died in prison just last spring or summer. But the judge, when he sentenced him, this was so interesting. You know what the judge said? He said, I find it of note that when we put it out there for people to write letters, people can write letters to basically a letter of character, you know, a letter of good deeds. How many people do you think sent a letter? Zero. Zero. You want to know why? That's not just a Bernie Madoff thing. That is a thing in us that has a very hard time associating with the lowest of the low. When somebody has done wrong in our eyes, you know what our natural reaction is? We run. There's an association thing. There's maybe a temptation thing, but we we get away from it. And yet here's Jesus. He's reclined at a table and he's like feasting with all of them. Now, before, before you start to think, well, mentally, okay, tax collector. I'm, I'm not a tax collector, but I'm maybe over here, over here, over here. What I find so interesting about Levi 
is that he turns around after following Jesus, and what does he do? He, he puts on a dinner for people just like him. And I think that might be part of the issue when we think, ah, you know, the social stratification that we do where we categorize into groups. We fail to understand who and what we really are. Let me ask you this. If I asked you to think of one person who owes you right now, does a face come to mind? Let me maybe word it differently. Has somebody offended you? Is there somebody that you, you're maybe looking for an apology from? See, you want apology, and you want retribution, but you want interest on it, don't you? Yeah, we all want to add a little surcharge. You want to know why? Because every single one of us is a tax collector. And that is hard to hear, and yet it's incredible news because Jesus found a tax collector and he said, follow me. And you know what the actual evidence of the transformation of that tax collector is? Is he turned and looked around and he said, I'm going to go get all the tax collectors. This is amazing. And the Pharisees are going to be so mad. See, so he looks at us and he says, what's behind you? It's not a liability. That's an asset. The people around you, the people that are like you, the people that you associate with, you may see them as a liability, he says, no, 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 it, it's an asset because there's no soul he can't reach. Well, there's, there's a third piece that we, this is probably the piece that we look at most as a liability when it comes to telling people about Jesus and, and wanting to share our lives with him. And it's this piece that really has to acknowledge what's within us. Listen to what verse 17 says. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> On hearing this, Jesus said to them, this is after hearing the Pharisees ask, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, there's this, there's this uh, I'll say it, pharisaical side to all of us. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, I realized on the calendar I had an appointment with the dentist, the dentist coming up. What did I start doing one week before that appointment? Yes, flossing. So I got there, and um, I, it's amazing. You know, it, here the guy has studied dentistry for years and years and years, and I'm like, one week out, I'm going to trick him. I'm going to trick him. And we all do this, whether it's a doctor appointment, excuse me, or a dentist appointment or whatever. So I get there. And I'm sitting in the chair. He's like, you just started flossing again, didn't you? I was like, yes, I did. And it was a test to see if you knew what you were doing. He said, yeah, I can tell because your gums are so inflamed from over-flossing, Nathan. What did you do? And yet, that's the kind of doctor you want. That's the kind of dentist you want, isn't it? And so Levi calls all these tax collectors together and they sit down at the table and you know what they discover? They've got a doctor. And it's not just any doctor. This is a doctor who actually books his schedule full of appointments with the sick. I mean, what good is a doctor that hides in their office and they don't schedule any appointments all day? They're really no good, are they? And yet this doctor, you know what he says? He, he says, I'm going to walk the hospitals. I'm going to walk the infirmary. I'm going to walk the streets. I'm going to find the sick. 
And he went to him over and over and over again. I look at these liabilities, and there are, there are hundreds more. I look at those things that cause me to think twice about, you know, sharing my story with other people about, in my testimony with others, about what Jesus did in my life. And you know what? So it just jumps out at me that over and over I stop because I think things are liabilities. You want to know why we think our story and our surroundings and what's within us are liabilities? Because we see differently than God does. We see differently. We measure differently. We value differently. We just look differently in our lives. Let me explain it to you this way. I want to put a picture up, okay? This is, a, this is one of the dogs that we got at Christmas. Okay, so on the left, you got Archie. Archie went to my sister and her husband. And then on the right, we've got Alfie there, okay? These two are brothers. And so we got Alfie at Christmas, and he is a, he's a what? I still can't remember, a Pushan. It's basically a pit bull poodle, okay? So anyway, um, so We've got Alfie, and Alfie, before we go to any other pictures, here's what I'd say about Alfie. If, if you were to look at Alfie the way we tend to look at ourselves and we tend to look at one another, I'm going to use an accounting term here. There's an accounting term called net, okay? Net, you, you come at a net value of something based on you measure the inflows and you measure the outflows, okay? I look at Alfie and I go, okay, he, he doesn't carry his weight around the house, we get home, he doesn't clear the dishwasher, he doesn't contribute to his food budget, he, you know, he has to be groomed and fed and groomed and fed and poop picked up, like just endless poop picking up. And I, Alfie is what I would categorize as a net negative contributor to our household. I mean, here's, here's, here's an example of what, here's what Alfie does. This was, I was home one day last week and, and I snuck upstairs and I was like, this is what you do while we're at school and work all day long. Okay, he didn't even bat an eye. The one time he did bat an eye, I got this glare. Look at this. That's like two days after being groomed and you can't even tell. Okay, the other day he actually tried, this is a puppy thing, tried to eat his own poop. Okay, and, and my brother-in-law came up with the most brilliant Brilliant uh, marketing campaign for the dog food company. The food's so nice, your dog will try to eat it twice, okay? And, and I just thought, that is perfect. We can, we can close in prayer with that. So anyhow, that's if you were to look at Alfie the way we tend to look at ourselves, though. And yet that's not how we look at Alfie, is it? And that's not how Jesus looks at you. You know what he looks at? When he looks at you and me, delight. Delight is what he does. And I'm telling you, if you can get that straightened out in your heart, if you can just get that settled, that when God looks at you and your being and your story, he does not see liabilities. He sees an asset upon asset upon asset that he can use and leverage to reach people because that is what he has a heart to do. And when you settle that, something happens in your life. And it has everything to do with a verse that we read just a little bit ago. Let me read it to you again. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Now Mark says it that way. Let me take you to the way Luke said it. 
Luke in chapter 5, verse 29 said, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. You know what happens when you stop looking at your life as full of liabilities that get in God's way and you start seeing an asset upon asset upon asset and delight upon delight upon delight? You know what happens? Your life brings people to the table. Your life brings people to the table. In fact, Levi, who wrote the the Gospel of Matthew, he recounts this event in Matthew, in chapter 9. And he says, actually, I was there, so it was my house. Jesus said something else. Here's what he said. Matthew 9, chapter 13. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. But go and learn what this means in response to the Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what will show up all over your life if you'll step into these conversations? If you'll settle in your heart that it's not liability after liability after liability, but delight upon delight upon delight? You know what shows up? Mercy. God's heart for mercy. See, you've got to know your life sets the table for sinners and saviors, Savior to feast together. That's what happens when God straightens this out in your heart. It becomes the place setting that those around you and the story behind you and what he's redeemed within you, it, it all comes to the table. And when everybody comes to the table, you know what you get to say? I invited a doctor because you're sick and I was sick. But this doctor, he came for every single one of the sick. So here's the question. Here's the question as we come to a close. Who is it? Whose face is running around in your mind right now? Whose face, if you're just honest, you you may have a hard time sitting down at a table with? And I'm not talking about other Christians. I'm talking about those that, God, that Jesus says, I, I have yet to reach them. Is there anybody that you couldn't sit down at a table and have a meal with? Because you can't truly love and you can't truly convert and you can't really point anybody to Jesus that you won't sit down and have a meal with. And I got to be honest, if I'm really, really honest, I would bet that for many in here, that face may be in the mirror. Because you've been looking at your life for too long and saying, ah, liability. No, somebody else will do it. No, he can't use that. That's a liability. It's a liability. And he says, no, that's exactly what I want to use. And and all you have to do is look at the life of Levi. I mean, Jesus is walking along and he saw him as Levi, the tax collector. But you know what he saw him as? Matthew, the disciple. And it's no accident that he had been wired to be, a, to, to be in the industry he was in. He had to keep meticulous records. He had to keep track of everything. And it was that wiring, it just got corrupted. And it went sideways. And so when Jesus called Levi, do you know what he actually was doing? He said, I'm here to redeem that Imago Dei, the image of God. Because God did wire him to keep records. And God does have a heart to make this sick person well. And what did he do? We went on to write records of, of his account of the life 
of Jesus Christ. And I got to be honest, if you ever sat down with that gospel, it is like sitting at a table and feasting at a banquet. That is exactly what happens to your life when you recognize it is the setting. It is the setting where sinners and Savior sit down and feast together. As the worship team comes back up, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, in ways we cannot even imagine, you see layer upon layer upon layer of us, but you see down to the deepest layer. You see that original image that God created us as. And Lord, we have only to look to the life of Levi to recognize that there is no wiring, no story, no background, no surrounding of, of acquaintances and peers and friends, no, no acknowledgement of what's within us that you cannot and will not use. And so, Lord, let us see with your eyes, whether it's somebody that flashed through our minds this morning or it's whether it's looking in the mirror. Lord, let us see ourselves with your eyes and to be reminded that you're not measuring inflows and outflows. What you're actually doing is you're delighting in us. And we know it is your tremendous, tremendous delight from the depths of your heart to redeem us, to restore us back to what our heavenly father had in mind when he knit us together in the womb. And so Lord, draw us to Mark chapter two, verses 13 through 17 this week. Let us reflect on Levi. And for many of us, Lord, maybe we need to be drawn back to the table, back to communion one more time. All we have to do is look through your word at how many things happen at the table. Over and over and over, we find your heart in communing with you at the table. Remind us of this every moment, every day this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.